0: My scripture reading is from the book of Acts, the book of Acts and chapter 14. Book of Acts and chapter 14. <laughs> Verse 1. Now, it happened in Aconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and spoke so spoke that a great multitude both of Jews and and the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And When a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and, to, and the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple, from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked. Now when the people saw that what Paul had done They raised their voices, saying in the Lusaconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Saul heard this. They tore their clothes and ran among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing this thing? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and all things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, giving rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews... Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples... They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after that, they passed through. Pisidia they came to Pamphylia now when they had preached the word in Perga they went down to Atalaya from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed and when they had come and gathered the church together they reported all that God had done with them and that he had Open the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. May the Lord bless to us that reading of God's word. May give us understanding of it. And may we find great instruction from it as well. If you'd like to take your Bibles, book of Acts and chapter 14. Book of Acts and chapter 14. Many years ago, there was a young man by the name of Michael Faraday. He's famous today. When he was a young man, he had a newspaper round. One day when he was on his newspaper round, one of the houses he delivered to, the, the gates were locked. So he couldn't get through the gates to deliver his newspaper. But it was a barred gate, so he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll climb through the bars. But (laughs) he got stuck. (laughs) He got stuck between the bars. And uh, while he was waiting for help, because he was in a desperate situation, he could not move either way. He began to reason with himself. Which side of the gate am I? My head and my hands are one side... But most of my body and my legs are the other side. But which side am I? Well, by the time someone came to help him to get out of the gate, he came to this, 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 he came to this conclusion. He said, Wherever my heart is, that's where I am. <laughs> was a good deduction wasn't it but that's what he said wherever my heart is that is where i am it's very interesting if you're here tonight we've got a similar thought about that as well we come to the last chapter of joshua tonight and it's a similar thought wherever your heart is that is where you are The Lord Jesus Christ said some amazing words. We don't very often meditate upon them these days. But he said these words in Luke 12, 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. But rather division. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ, by his gospel, divides people. Last time I was with you, we were in Antioch, in Asia, chapter 13. There were many who believed the gospel, and there was a church established in Antioch. But there were also many who didn't believe, and they rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they persecuted his two servants, Paul and Barnabas. That's why they had to move on to Iconium. Now, when we come to Iconium, verses 1 to 7 of our chapter, there is a great multitude. Verse 1 and the great multitude of Jews and Greeks, they believe. But did you notice verse 4? But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And once again Paul and Barnabas have to flee because of this great division in this city. So the gospel, wherever it goes, it divides. When we come to Lystra, verses 8 to 20... They preach the gospel there. But soon Jews from Antioch and Iconium come. And there is a, a division. And you'll see that in verse 19. How they persuade the multitude to stone Paul. And here Paul is dragged out of the city supposing him to be dead. And when they come to Derby after Lystra. We're not told much about it. But once again, they have to flee from Derby. Though many believe, once again, there is this division. Division and persecution always follow wherever the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is preached. Something else the Lord Jesus Christ said, once again, Perhaps we don't often think about this, but Jesus said this, Luke eleven twenty-three. 23. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. What is the greatest division in this world? This world has got lots of divisions, but the greatest division is this. There are those who are for the Lord Jesus Christ because he is their saviour. And their Lord. And their King. And they love him. And even if it means persecution. And ill treatment. They will follow. The Lord Jesus Christ. But there are those. Who are against him. And observing the state of our society. You can understand. That thought. There are those. Who are against The Bible, the standards of the Bible, and they are against the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our world is divided. It's interesting, there are those who want a one world. (laughs) Shall I tell you something? They're dreaming. There are those, amazingly, who want one worldwide church. Well, they might have a church, but it won't be the Church of Jesus Christ, because the Lord Jesus Christ Church, there is always those who will persecute the Lord's people. So young Michael Faraday reasoned, "Wherever my heart is, that is the side I am on. That's a good question to ask yourself: Where is Your heart. Now let's do a little bit of geography. With this chapter. Because it covers quite a bit of a journey. Last time we were in Antioch. Remember. There are two Antiochs. One in Syria. And one in Asia. Well chapter 13. That's the one in Asia. And that's where Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. So they were in Asia. Iconium was about 100 miles east of Antioch. Lystra was about another 50. Don't uh, take me up on these miles. It's just a rough estimate, okay? And uh, Lystra was about 50 miles on, and Derby perhaps another 50 miles on. The amazing thing was, is, is this. When they had finished preaching in Derby... They followed their path. Now, if they'd gone straight along to the west, they could have got to Tarsus and back down to Asia, uh, back down to Antioch in Syria. But they didn't. They turned round. They went back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. And what did they do? Well, verses 20 and 23 tell us. Amazing. They weren't hit and run preachers. Just say, oh, I've had a few decisions in that place and went home. No. It says this. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed and then they were returned down to perga got on the boat and went back to antioch in syria they were truly missionaries they cared for the souls of those who had believed and when they had got back to antioch in syria they gave a report to the church, verses 27 28. It says, and when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And that's lovely, isn't it? When we support someone to go and do a missionary work, more likely miles and miles away from where we are, but here in the prayer meeting, we are praying for them. How lovely it is when they come back and give a report saying, Yeah, you were labourers together with, 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 with prayer. And this is what happened. And this is how God used us and blessed us in the work. So that was their journey. Some believe it would have covered two, perhaps three years. They were away from Antioch in Syria, their home church. They would have travelled by foot about 600 miles. And a lot of it was uphill, because Antioch in Asia was high up. And more likely 700 miles on a boat as well. So it was truly a missionary journey. You can imagine all the difficulties they went through. In fact, when we get to chapter 15, it says this in verse 26. When it talks about Barnabas and Paul, it says, Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They risked their lives. And we don't read about it half. In 2 Corinthians, we read about how Paul speaks about being amongst robbers, having shipwrecks. Being amongst false brethren. And all the difficulties he went through. And no doubt he did on this first missionary journey. They risked their lives to take the gospel to others. And of course, we have to remember that. All the unsung heroes, those we never hear of They risked their lives to take the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to others who have not heard. So that's very commendable, isn't it? What a testimony that is. Now I want to highlight to you, first of all, what happened at Iconium. And then Lystra and make a few comments. So verses 1 to 7, what happened at Iconium? I'm just going to refer to two things. Number one, there was great preaching. Great preaching. If you look at verse 3. It says, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, from that verse, please notice three things. Number one, they spoke boldly. When you speak boldly, that means you're confident. In the message you preach. You have great assurance that the Lord has sent you. And it's the Lord's message that you are preaching. And there is a sense in their souls that my duty is to preach this message. And I want to do it earnestly. I want to do it sincerely. I want to do it with urgency. These people need to hear this message. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life or eternal death. It is urgent that these people hear this message. So they spoke boldly. One of the tragedies of our day In the churches so often we're too apologetic. We're too laid back. We forget we have a message that men and women need to hear. And it's from God. And it's the gospel. And we need to preach it boldly to men and women. Notice secondly, it says speaking boldly in the Lord. Now, of course, none of us can do anything without the Lord. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas knew that. In fact, when they got back to their report meeting, right at the end of our chapter, did you notice it said they reported all that God had done with them and how he, not them, he had opened the door of faith to The Gentiles. You see, Paul and Barnabas were but a channel whereby God's blessing flowed to those people. They were but a vessel. You know, it says in Corinthians, God takes the foolish things of this world that he might confound the mighty. And he does. So all so he might have all the glory. That's the attitude of Paul. And Barnabas, it should be the attitude of every Christian preacher and every Christian. There's a lovely verse, two Corinthians five verse twenty. It says, "Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ." Now, notice this: as though God was pleading through us. How about that? Hey? So these men, they spoke with passion. They pleaded for the souls of men and women. Because that is the spirit of God within them. How he longed that sinners might be saved. In the 18th century there was a, a vicar by the name of John Berridge. He lived in Bedfordshire, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire border. He was a vicar, but he wasn't a Christian. <laughs> and as he preached on Sundays, no doubt he sent the congregation to sleep. <laughs> boring, you know. And, sorry to say this, but people like boring sermons, you know, because they can drift off in their own little world. So there's John Berridge preaching away. His congregation drifting off into their sleep. They weren't bothered at all. But when John Ber- Beridge was converted, things began drastically to change. His pulpit was on fire, not literally, spiritually speaking. And men and women, thousands of them, came to hear John Beridge preach because he'd got a message from the Lord. And they needed to hear that message. And there was great blessing. Not because of a man called John Beridge, but because here was a man who spoke boldly in the Lord. Or how we need the Lord to raise up such preachers today who speak boldly in the Lord. Now the third thing I want you to observe from verse 3 is this. It says, speaking boldly in the Lord, who, let's carry on speaking about the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands now of course they were apostles they had signs the ability to do it in those apostolic days but the words i want you to notice it says that the lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace now think of it like this one day iconium two men come there may be others with him with them they go into the synagogue The congregation had never met these two men before. They just turn up out of the blue. And they have opportunity to speak. And they speak a message these people have never heard before. And there are those Jews and Gentiles who believe. They're born again. It's radical. They're in this place of Iconium. Now isn't that incredible? A miracle happens through the preaching, the teaching of the word of God. And that's how it is, folk. That's how God speaks to men and women. Through the preaching of the word of God. Think of George Whitfield, 18th century again. Famous preacher, mightily used of God. 22,000 people gather to hear him on Clapham Common in London. Why have 22,000 people gathered to hear one man speak? Is he a good speaker? Is he good at oratory? No, he just preaches the gospel. And people know that there's more than a man there. There is the Spirit of God at work in the souls of men and women. And people aren't hungry to hear George Whitfield; They are hungry for the word of God. And that's how it should be. Hungry to hear of the Saviour. So the Lord was there in witness to the word of his grace. When we read of revivals, that's what the Lord does in a big way. Okay? But I want to say this, even in small ways as well, we have to say if we're evangelical, if we believe in preaching that the Lord comes and bears witness to the word of his grace, even when a small group is gathered to hear the word of God, that's what we believe. You don't gather to hear a man. You want to hear the word of God preached. And that's why we must pray in our prayer meetings for the preaching of the word of God. I've got one little comment to make and it's this. My friend was asked, why doesn't revival come to, well I'm not going to tell you the place, okay. But why doesn't revival come to such and such a place? His answer was this. Because we don't preach the gospel. That's a good answer. The Lord attends the preaching of his word, particularly the gospel. When we preach the gospel in a regular way. The tragedy is that so often people don't realise what the gospel is. As long as we've had a few verses from the Bible, they think that's the gospel. But the gospel is when you bring men and women face to face with their relationship with God, talk about sin, talk about eternity, and talk about the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to come and trust this Saviour to be your Saviour in order that you might be forgiven of your sin. So the Lord will witness to the preaching of the word of his grace. Now that's the first thing which happened in Iconium. The second thing which happened in Iconium was this. Did you notice verse 2? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Now remember the gospel always divides. It divides first of all because the Lord is gathering a people from this world who are sinners... And bringing them to himself, cleansing them, making his children. And he's going to take them one day to heaven. But there's another one at work in our world. And that's the devil. And he doesn't want any to leave his kingdom of darkness. He wants to keep them in the chains of their sins. And that is what's happening in our world. Now please notice three things. The enemies of the gospel always misrepresent the message. That thought the poison and poison their minds against the brethren. These two men, Paul and Barnabin, preaching the gospel. But these Jews, religious people, more like these Greeks who are members of the synagogue. They poisoned the mind of the people. Now isn't that interesting? They were religious people. (laughs) But they were poisoning the minds of the people. They misrepresented the message. And it still happens today. Whether you're an archbishop, a bishop, a vicar, a priest... They misrepresent the message because they've departed from the Word of God. We have our charismatic friends, they get excited about all sorts of things except for the Word of God and the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They misrepresent the message. And that's the first thing they did. The second thing they did was they maligned the preacher. Why did they have such tactics? They wanted to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. This is what happens so often to the gospel preacher. The faithful man who preaches the word of God, they will speak evil of him, they will slander him, they will persecute him, and they will deny him the right to preach. It happened in the book of Acts and it still happens today. J.C. Ryle said this, lies and false reports are among, the, among Satan's chiefest weapons. And Revelation 12.10 says, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. They malign the preacher. They poison the minds of these people who may have been interested in the gospel against the preacher. And it happens. Shall I tell you something? I know by experience it happens. It does happen. And the third thing, I want you to notice that that they want to stop the mission. They want to stop the preaching. Now, when Paul and Barnabas came to uh, Iconium, they were asleep in their sins. (laughs) They were being taught errors and they were quite comfortable about things. But directly the gospel was preached. It stirred them. It stirred them to think about god so what do these enemies of the gospel do well violently they they abuse these people paul and barnabas and stone them and this is what happens they wanted to stop the preaching stop the mission and stop people hearing the gospel but the devil is always a loser because these very men will return to Iconium <laughs> and then he'll build up the church, they'll build up the church, they'll appoint elders, and there'll be a church, a local church in Iconium. Now, I want to go on to Lystra. Now, here we are, we're going on to Lystra and to Derby. They preached the gospel, look at verse 7 and they were preaching the gospel there. Now, You'll notice in Lystra there wasn't a synagogue. It was a pagan city. Here's a big lesson. Iconium had the scriptures. Lystra didn't. When you speak to people, the first thing you have to do is weigh up. Do they know anything about the Bible? If not, you have to start speaking to them where they are, not knowing anything about the Bible. We'll see that in a few moments. But the gospel is preached in Lystra. Isn't that wonderful? Pagan city, they didn't know anything about God. Like our world. It's a barren place, isn't it? But the good news is there's a gospel message to be preached about a Saviour who came to save people. Please notice, again, three things about Mystery, and then I'm through. First of all, there is a miracle performed. The Apostle Paul is preaching there is a man who is a cripple, can't walk, never walked in his life. Crippled from his mother's womb. And there he was listening to Paul. It would seem that he'd been listening on several occasions. And he had come to faith in Christ. Because we believe this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, when you hear the word of God, it's the very means that will bring faith into your life. So faith, true faith, immediately attracts, attracts people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is a miracle. Remember the apostles have that great ability to perform miracles, not every time, just when it would serve their purposes in order to take the gospel on foot and forward, Verse 10, Paul says with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked. That was the great sign that the message that Paul was preaching was from God. And this pagan city witnessed a miracle. It's interesting, isn't it? This miracle is identical To the miracle that was performed by Peter in chapter 3 at Gate Beautiful. Do you remember that one? He leapt up. Never walked in his life. He leapt up and began leaping and jumping and praising God. Isn't that interesting? Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. They both performed the same miracle... But more importantly, they preach the same gospel. Isn't that incredible? And of course they do. Because the same Spirit of God is within them. Now of course this miracle caused an uproar. And it says here in uh, verse 11 at the end, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So we go on now to the second observation. There's a miracle. But there is a myth that people believe. There is a myth that people believe. What is this all about? About these gods coming down to us. Directly Paul and Barnabas, had this miracle had happened. They began to call Paul uh, Hermes and Barnabas Zeus, two gods. And then the priests of Zeus... They went to the temple that was outside the front gate of the city to get garlands and oxen and they were going to sacrifice to these two men. And of course Paul had something to say, saying we're we're, we're just ordinary men. So why did they do this? Well there was a myth. And this city, their belief system was built on a myth. And I'll tell you the myth very briefly. Many years ago, before this event, two gods fell out of the skies. <laughs> Hermes and Zeus. And as they fell out in the skies, they came to Lystra. And they knocked on many doors saying, could you give us hospitality? But no one would give them hospitality. And then they came to a poor couple's house, a little cottage. And the poor couple gave them hospitality. In the morning, these two gods, so the legend goes, turned their cottage into a golden temple. And all those who didn't receive them into their houses, they destroyed. And that is the myth. That is the legend that was at Lystra. Isn't it amazing what people will believe? Isn't it amazing? Do you realise that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Watchtower organisation is God's appointed organisation in this world? Do you not find it amazing that the Mormons believe Joseph Smith had some golden plates come down from heaven? He had some special glasses to read them. And the golden plates went back to heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? The Catholics. They believe that Mary ascended. Into heaven. And has more power than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is nothing but a myth. And now I will tell you what the greatest myth is shall I? The greatest myth in this world. And you know what it is. But this world. The human race, all the wonders of this world, happened because of a big bang. Isn't it amazing what people will believe? Well, Paul preaches the gospel there. And how does he do it? To counteract this myth, this legend? Well, look, the third thing. Verse 15 He says, you should turn from these vain things, in other words, their myth, to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. And this is where Paul starts, with a pagan people. And this is where we have to start today, with people who don't know the Bible. There is a God who made us, and our God is is great. Do you realise, when you start with creation, you solve a lot of the problems of today. Where does life come from? God. And that's why life is precious. That's why we are made in the image of God. Life is precious. Where does all the arrangement of this world, the wonders of our body, come from? A big bang? No, from a great God, the true and the living God. He is the God who is the source of all life. Where does marriage come from? From the God who ordained marriage right at the beginning. Male and female, where does it come from? From the God who made us. What about suffering and death, the atheists will say? we believe everything was good, but then man sinned, and death and suffering came into this world. We could go on, but that's where he begins, with these pagan people, that God is great. But did you notice verse 17, God is not only great, but he's good. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good. Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Our God is not only great, he is good. Ask a boy or girl, where do you get your food from? Tesco's or Sainsbury's, I better not go too far down that road. No, you may buy it from those places all our food comes from God. He created the seed. Put it into his ground. He sends the, his rain. And his sunshine. And he grows the crops. So we can eat. The tree produced the fruit. The hen lays the egg. It's all God's handiwork. And God is good. And despite our sin and rebellion, he shows his goodness to assert a world that is sinful and against our God. So God is great, he's good, but remember they preach the gospel. At Lystra, God is gracious. Did you notice verse 16? In bygone generations... Allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. What have we done as a human race? We've rebelled against God's commandments. We've rebelled against his ways. We've walked in our own ways. We've turned to our own things and done it our way. But there is a gospel that brings lost sheep back to himself. There is a gospel that reaches down to bring us out of the mire and to cleanse us and to make us right with God and to get us into heaven. How gracious, how God is. So He's great, He's good, and He's gracious. So there was a division, whether it's at Iconium, Lystra. People believed, people didn't believe. Wherever you go, wherever you preach, wherever I preach in the open air, whether I preach in churches, I can guarantee there's always a division. There is a mountain in Canada. And on that mountain, there is a stream flowing down it. And at one place in that stream, there is a great rock. And that rock parts the stream. Some of the water goes west and becomes a great river and flows into the Pacific Ocean. The other stream becomes a great river and flows into the Atlantic Ocean. That rock is called the Great Divide. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rock of ages, is the Great Divider. And as I come to the conclusion, remember the, Lord's, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not for me, he says, you're against me. There's no neutral ground. And I ask you this morning, from the sincerity of my heart, like we heard at the beginning, where is your Heart. Is it trust in the Saviour? Does it love the Saviour? Does it want to follow the Saviour? Or have you turned from the Saviour? And you're still in your sins. Remember those two rivers? They ended up in two distant de- destinations. There are two different destinations. You'll either be in heaven with your Saviour. Or you'll be in hell without him.